Hi, I'm Karen Elliott, and you're listening to the District B-Sides Podcast, where you'll hear in-depth conversations with council, staff, and community members to take you behind the decisions that are being made on topics that matter to Squamish. Now let's tune in and join the conversation. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Restoring the Shore through the Central Estuary Restoration Project. Um, this project continues to evolve, so today might be the first of maybe additional conversations. And um, there's lots of good information in this podcast, um, talking a bit about where this project has been, where we're at now, where we're going uh, in the future. And I am so fortunate to be joined today by three guests, um, joined by Joyce Williams, who is a counselor with the Squamish Nation. I'm joined by Patricia Heinzman, uh, former mayor and also now a member of the Central Estuary Restoration Project, and Chris Wickham, uh, the district's director of engineering, who's been involved with this project uh, almost from the beginning. So I just want to acknowledge that we're recording this podcast today on the traditional territory of the Skohomish Nation, and I am going to turn uh, the conversation very quickly over to Joyce. So Joyce, uh, probably the best place to start is to talk about Skowalem and the estuary and help our community understand what this place really is um, and its importance uh, from your perspective. Hi, Jeff, Karen. Um, I would just like to start off by introducing myself. Um, Joyce Williams, uh, Queen Sna. Come from the traditional village of Wewikum, which is here on Escohomish territory, and very happy to be here with all of you um, for this very important discussion. So, Skowalem historically and to present has always been very important to our Skohomish people. Uh, not to quit to Quain in the long ago, our Skohomish people, uh, uh, this was very well known as a fishing village for our, our Skohomish Stomach, our Skohomish people. And uh, it was told to me by a lot of our elders that the homes that were there, as you can imagine with the, the changing of the waters as we have experienced as a recent, um, the homes were built on stilts. So there's a lot of history there for our people um, using this, this very important land. And much like today and long ago, that so many resources provided for us, not just with um, the fish, but with all of the other wildlife and even the medicines, um, not just for food, but you know, with a, a lot of the other plants and medicines that this beautiful place provided for us. Um, so it was very, was and is very important to us as Skohomish people um, in providing for us. So always uh, as being stewards of the land, taking care of it. Um, so even today, uh, with thanks to um, partners uh, like the Squamish River Watershed Society and the District of Squamish doing the, restora the restoration work from things that have happened in past to bring this back to our people. Uh, so it's been nice to uh, have our, our mama and our children go back and help plant the traditional brush and even the, the chocolate lilies um, that were once um, have gone extinct, but beautiful to see that coming back and it's bringing back knowledge and history and the importance of these resources that 
uh, we once used regularly coming back um, and educating our our mind mind and of course having the schools bring the children to learn about these very important restoration projects and having them go down to see the herring spawning you know that's something that my generation and my mom's generation never were able to witness so I was very lucky that my daughter was able to go down with a lot of the folks and go and and witness this very um, important change that's taking place down there right now so it's very exciting times to to witness the restoration and have our children be a very big part of that you know teaching them the history and helping them be out on the land to help them restore it because if they're out there they're spending the time on the land they're learning about it they're going to have that love and compassion and respect for that space and, and teaching of course to the next generations we always always one of our teachings is you got to think your decision making you have to think seven generations after you so very important that our, our children are a part of this very um, important work i thank thank you joyce um I can relate to that. My my kids both planted uh, trees down there as one of as part of one of the planting days. And anytime we're walking down there, they still pass their trees, and they're like, "This was mine." They get so excited. Uh, Patty, what were you going to ask? I was just going to say I love the the Squamish Nation word for children, "mun mun." It just brings a smile to my face all the time. It's just the best word. Um, and, and I was going to ask Joyce about, I know the, the Squamish Nation has such an affinity for salmon. And I've heard the, the, the story of the salmon people and how, and how the nation connected and sort of in essence became the salmon people to a certain degree. And I'm wondering if I just, I just love hearing those stories for one, but I'm wondering if you could just maybe elaborate on how connected the nation is to salmon. Yeah, so, of course, Sokwe uh, is one of, the, of our names um, for our salmon. Of course, uh, all of them have different names and still learning my my nature, my language, but very, very important to us as Squamish people. Um, not only just for food, we also use it for other resources as well. Uh, so, being a very, very important food source for us, and, and we've got, of course, many stories, traditional stories, uh, the salmon people, the Kais, um, who were helped by the Skohomish people, they um, went to go and visit the Skohomish people, um, was mentioned in, in this story, and uh, they, the Squamish people asked them uh, to help, they needed some food, and so you know, it's a big part of our history and, and those stories carry big teachings about having that respect for the salmon and in that story it also even it, it speaks to even after you consume the salmon the teachings are to bring the bones back to the river and and that whole connection of it. Um, you know Uncle Tahten, my say say Tahten Randall um, talked to me about this even when I was younger, even before I heard the story. So those connections are very strong, very historical, um, and those, you know, carry very big teachings, um, having that respect. Uh, but, um, yeah, a very, very important piece of, of our, our culture, our history, our food source. 
Um, and one of the things that that we know about this project is that it's it's not isolated. The nation's been working throughout the entire watershed to restore salmon habitat. I remember your uncle showing me a video of this giant boulder being blasted out of the upper Elaho. Um, so, so there's that history there of, of restoration throughout the valley. Um, can you say a little bit more about that, Joy? Yes, absolutely, Karen. That, that um, you know, comprehensive watershed approach, it's all connected, interconnected. So when those uh, logging roads were being built up there and those big boulders um, kind of blocking blocking their path, the Chinook salmon, um, which is the you know salmon that we're really trying to help restore in this area. So as mentioned, all, it's all very connected. So Squamish Nation, alongside with uh, Squamish River Watershed Society, DFO, made big efforts to get these boulders blasted out. And I've seen the videos uh, and it's just amazing the work that took place. I'm very grateful that it did. So having these, this restoration that's about to take place now and that connection um, is, is all very important to piece together the Chinook salmon, um, very, very important. Um, so to, to finish off kind of that work, right, from the very important work that was done up in the Elaho, uh, removing those boulders that were massive. I've seen the, the pictures in the video and um, it's just amazing the work that's already taking place in this this project that's about to take place is really going to complement that and, and it's all in, in collaboration um, together to, to make this happen to help help our salmon as mentioned is so very important to us Skohomish people but as our community as a whole very important work going to be taking place continuance and just want to um, raise my hands and to, to to those that made that work happen up in the Elaho because it's you know kind of paved paved the path for us to continue this work that's about to happen. Mm, it's it is it it's connected both in, within the watershed and and through the decades of consistent dedicated work to try and uh, return these areas back to um, prime habitat uh, for salmon. So Patty, maybe I'll come to you and just get a bit of your perspective on the history of this project from the Squamish River Watershed Society's uh, point of view. There's several partners involved um, and maybe just touch a bit on how did it get off the ground and and some key milestones along the way and where we're at now. Yeah, no, I think it's really important to understand the evolution of this project because it, it, it didn't start yesterday, didn't start four years ago, didn't start, you know, when they rehabilitated the old logs in the estuary, it didn't start when the dredge squirrels were, it started probably almost 30 years ago. And it's not just, as Joyce was just saying, it's not just about the estuary, it's about the headwaters. It's about all the little creeks that the salmon love to go and spawn in at Ashley and Shovelnose and, and all the way up. And I think part of the understanding is how um, colonizers and industrial activity impacted the salmon in particular. Um, so it's all compounding and it's all sort of an evolution. Um, I'm not I'm not the best one to talk about these things, but but there's been a constant process of trying to reintegrate 
the water of the es of the river with the estuary for 25 plus years. And it started with sm smaller culverts, um, which just proved to be ineffectual because they would be out of the water at low tide or low water and in the water, and they were too small, and the little baby salmonids couldn't find it effectively, and it really wasn't transferring the amount of sedimentation and or water that you wanted to um, to have go into the estuary to help rejuvenate that that um, ecosystem that used to be flush with this mixing of fresh and, and salt water and sediments that really nutrient-rich sediments that come from the headwaters. So this project has been an, an evolution of things that were attempted and didn't work as well as they thought and and a whole sort of comprehensive watershed approaches as Joyce talked about. The current iteration, what we call the Century Restoration Project or what we're, we're sort of reframing as Restore the Shore, essentially started about four or five years ago um, with the idea that, it, it, you know, now that the funding was there, the Squamish Nation, of course, this was a, an imperative and a priority for them. And DFO came to the table to say, let's move this project forward to really have a meaningful impact on the estuary. And it has three phases. So the first phase was essentially trying to start to rewater the estuary. And it resulted in uh, two large box culverts that went up um, sort of midway down the, the training part of the of the dike there, the berm. Um, and they took out quite small culverts and, and, and put in very, very large culverts with fish-friendly baffles in there to help facilitate the water, nice cooling effect of all those snow and glacial waters going in to moderate the, the temperatures, to idealize the temperatures for salmon survival, um, as well as that sediment transport. So that was phase one. And then phase two is looking at um, removing or modifying the lower uh, berms. So essentially, if you're down, um, if you go south down the spit towards Howe Sound, it's that last 875 meters. Um, so between the roundabout where you can go to the end of where the launch area is for wind sports, the roundabout, that remains. The idea is to leave an island there so wind sports can still um, lay out their kites and launch and all that sort of thing. Um, and then remove or modify, actually, we're sort of going down to a bed of rock that was put down as the base of the berm, um, which is about the same height as the estuary side, um, back all the way to just south of the Yellow Gate. And then phase three would look at helping to rewater um, the area on the east side of the CN uh, spur that comes from the north yards down to the terminal, because that whole area in and around the, um, uh, the we used to call it Stinky Pond, we don't call it that anymore, but all that whole area, just cleaning up that, rewatering that, bringing the, the, the flushing of the water that's necessary to create a really good habitat. So that's phase three. And so, you know, once we get through phase two, we'll, we'll start looking at, at how we do that, um, that, that piece of the project. Great. Thanks, Patty. Just for that context of the different phases. Now, Chris, you've been part of each of these phases so far. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand where where the district has jurisdiction, where it doesn't, and, and what our concerns have been um, uh, when we've been at the table. So maybe you can just outline that in terms of the, the different phases of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it wasn't obvious at first. You know, I remember in some of the early meetings about four years ago, everybody sitting around the table sort of 
trying to sketch out who has jurisdiction where and what permits would be required and wouldn't and and uh where exactly the district does come into this as well as the, the other agencies you know the, the the feds and the province have been around that table for uh just as long as district and the strongest nation and the team so um and and that's been a really interesting interesting thing you know we, we, it's this huge multi-level jurisdictional um governance and uh um, where, where the district has, has come into it specifically is um, a little bit different for the different phases. So when the box culverts went in, the, the district um, maintains the road. And so we we had um, some things to say about what, what the box culverts might look like. Um, um, and, uh, and also, as far as location goes, uh, one thing that I think has sometimes caused some confusion in the community is, but isn't that a dike? Um, and locally, the district is the local diking authority and, and has jurisdiction over dikes. Um, but the, the official designation of dike actually ends just north of those box culverts. So that, that was the first thing to figure out is, can those box culverts go in where they, they can go, uh, where they did? And, and obviously the answer was yes. Um, and, and study of, of whether there was increased flooding and, and whatnot was, was done by the CERP team and, and uh, signed off by the district on that. As we move further south and we're looking at this next phase, that was one of the uh, um, one of the things we looked at there as well. Is w- would there be any uh, uh, any impact to downtown from removal of a section of of the, uh, the sort of jetty portion? And it was determined that uh, again the CERP team did did studies that were reviewed uh, by uh, the district's engineering team. Uh, looking at wave impact and flooding in a downtown, all all that, and and signed off as as not as an impact. Um, and then sort of uh, our other jurisdiction, really, there's there's no permits required by the districts. Um, however, we do have tenure, um, a a license on that that end portion that um, we sublicense out to the wind sports. So. Uh, we do have a, a role to play there, and, and very recently, um, the district council um, put in a, uh, a referral to the province um, uh, regarding uh, our interest as, as tenure holder there, um, and saying that uh, um, with some minor uh, minor requests um, about access for for wind sports being maintained, that that uh, the the, uh, the district didn't see a, um, any major red flags for the this first the first phase of the second phase i guess phase 2a i don't know the first 300 meters so really we're talking about you know patty talked about the full vision of the uh um removal at this point what's being proposed and and uh, being permitted is the southern 300 meters um um uh, up to the uh, up to the uh, the turnaround there so um and then, you know, we, we also have um, uh, a role to play, and, and uh, maybe we can talk about, about that at some point as well, just, just in convening, convening interested stakeholders. And, and, uh, yeah, and uh, I do want to get into that convening part, but I, I don't want to stick with this multi-jurisdictional kind of topic, um, because it's not always clear uh, to community members. And, and I remember sitting at one of those first engagement tables and there were so many different community organizations there. The province was there, the feds were there. We had 
you know, our MLA, MP. So like Joyce and Patty, like help sort of dissect the, the governance and decision making for a project of this sort of scope and scale. It, it's not just one body that has to make a decision. I think you've got like four permits you need to apply for. And so let's maybe unpack that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to tackle this one. So I think it's really important to understand why the spit and why the berm was put in to begin with um, and, and, and who built it. Um, so back in the, I think it was in the 40s and 50s, there was a big flood in Squamish and the local people were concerned about uh, another flood, the river sort of inundating in um, the downtown. And so the river was actually dredged. And I know Councillor Anderson has spoken this before. It was actually dredged in the 60s. And then uh, there was this big idea that a, sort of a multi-modal um, uh, port hub would be essentially put in Squamish and that the berm would be put in to train the river over to the west side, like just essentially push the whole main stem of the river over to the west so that you wouldn't have that sort of moving water and those impacts. Uh, and they could essentially fill in the entire estuary for a port. The, the major impetus was this very large coal port that, that the province wanted to put there. The local citizens of the day, um, First Nations of the day, essentially said, no way, you, you can't fill in and pave an estuary. It's, it's the wrong thing to do. The uh, environmental reports of the day said you can't further negatively impact this incredibly important ecosystem. Um, and so, so that sort of left uh, a bit of a structure that um, really didn't live up to what it was functionally designed to do. And pretty much from day one, the, when the coal port didn't go in, you know, that's when em environmentally minded people in the town started going, why do we still have this firm here? And I know that Squamish Nation from 50 years ago has been questioning the purpose um, and even the mandate for that firm to be built because it was very clear they weren't considered or consulted whatsoever in the whole process. And, 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 and I think one of the points I want to make about the estuary and the Chinook is that the Chinook, um, all salmon use the estuary, but Chinook in particular need the estuary to build up their resilience so they can survive out in the ocean. So um, they, they multiply in there. Their scales get stronger. They eat all the nutrition. You know, they build up their strength. And right now what happens is the fish get shot out the end of the estuary um, at, at the end of the spit and, and, and very few smolt actually make their way back into the estuary. So what this taking out of this lower portion of the spit is going to do is actually facilitate that movement of those little baby smolts going into the estuary to, to build their strength and to hopefully bring, bring numbers back. Um, I know we've all seen the graph that, that show um, you know, historical adults returning Chinook in that 20, 25,000 range, the spit went in and those numbers just plummet down to like under 3,000, 2,000 where they remain today. So there was a direct correlation with the, the implementation of the spit and the, just the plummeting of Chinook stocks in particular and, and all salmon stocks, herring. I mean, you could, the list goes on. So there's fisheries jurisdictions in there, as you can well imagine. There's the wildlife management area, which is a provincial function. So the, the actual road of the, of the berm is not within the wildlife management area, but right on the edge of that road is wildlife management area, which has a whole other 
set of rules and, and complications in terms of what you can and can't do in, in that jurisdiction. Uh, I think I'm just <laughs> to the, to the iceberg. So yeah, so, um, I mean, it's funding from the federal government and that's what's the, the, the real driver behind the project, but, um, but you're also requiring permits provincially. Um, sorry, yeah. I brought that right. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there, it's not only a federal funding, there's other funding pots and there's, there's BC hydro salmon enhancement. Like there's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of funding sources, but there is a big federal push for it. Absolutely. And, and federal funding for it. Um, with and provincial. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris, uh, do you want to jump in with something there? Yeah, I, I guess I, you know, there, there are uh, Squamish chief articles of the day that uh, talk about how uh, the river was trained over to the side in order to allow an international deep sea port, um, which originally was Cattermole's Wharf. Uh, and then very soon after the training berm was put in became Squamish terminals. And Squamish terminals would certainly say, I think that at, at this point, it looks like uh, we're trying to determine we being the, uh, the technical committee, I suppose, is trying to determine what is that, that protection that's, that's currently offered. You know, wh whether, whether or not a coal port was in the mix to begin with, uh, it's been the view up until, uh, a, uh, um, up until a couple of years ago that, that that training berm was critical to the operation of, of Squamish terminals. You know, there, there's a potential that a very large gap in that training bird may might be able to be opened up and, and not have an effect on Squamish terminals. And that's that's an outstanding question right now. And that's and there's a lot of work being being done done on that to uh, just to show that for for some of the permitting. Um, and yeah, it's it's incredibly complicated looking at, at the permitting because it's it's easy to say the province and the feds, but even when you start breaking down, you know, the feds our EFO is, is a partner and one of the funders. There's also Transport Canada, which is looking out for navigable waters issues and and uh, um, looking out for uh, Squamish Terminals has, has been a, a great uh, member of the table and is strongly in favor of, of the project um, as long as they can continue operating. Um, but then you see the province and, you, and you've got and, oh, well, that's Penrose, but it's Flinro, uh, the um, and for those who don't know, Flinro's forest land, forest operations and rural development. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, but but it's all it's it's the land department in there. Uh, there's the folks in there that, that in in Flinro who run the WMA. There's the folks folks who are doing the Water Sustainability Act. Uh, there's like four different sub offices of Flinro involved in this. Uh, it, um, it's uh, and, and they've all been around that table um, for four years. It's it's really been really incredible to be a part of that governance structure for the last four years. Okay, so and let's talk a bit about the tables you're convening. So the Restore the Shore project has got, you've got community tables that have convened. You just had an open house the other night, so I'd love to hear a bit about the open house and what you heard. Uh, there's a technical working group working on this, some very smart engineers. Uh, and then maybe, Chris, I'll get you to talk about the highly impacted stakeholders that uh, that you're convening with with Squamish Nation. So, so Patty or Joyce, maybe talk about, you know, how are you keeping 
all these folks um, moving in in the direction of of restore the shore. Yeah, I'm happy to feel that one, and maybe Joyce wants to to uh, to tag team a little bit. So yeah, it is it is absolutely a challenge to um, be trying to make sure all these various perspectives are understood, heard, um, contemplated, all that sort of thing. And I I would hazard to say that that's almost the biggest challenge of the project for sure, because from so many perspectives, that area down in the estuary is is an emotional place for many of us. Um, it's obviously a, a place of great pleasure and excitement for wind sports people. Absolutely. Um, the whole estuary is invaluable to the whole fisher industry and, and sports fishing. And they're very excited about this project. So it's, it's not homogenous in terms of tourism or recreation or all these different things. It's so diverse. Birders are excited about this because you bring fish back, you bring to an international birding destination. So it, it's really challenging to bring all these perspectives to the table, some of which are, are very ideologically and emotionally opposed to each other. Um, to try to convene a, a space where you can have a really deliberative dialogue and actually, you know, um, focus in on what can be done and what should be done. From the project team's perspective, we keep fish restoration and reconciliation as our fundamental baseline in terms of, of our impetus and, and why we're doing this. It, you know, processes are never perfect and you try to do the best you can with the, with the information you have in front of you. And then fundamentally, you, you, you have to figure out how you make it work for as many people as possible while still keeping at its essence the importance of reconciliation and restoration of habitat that likely should have never happened. Um, so we really feel passionately about the fact that it needs to be corrected today. Joyce, when you're having conversations in the community about this project, you know, what are what are some of the questions you get? What are some of the um, the the answers or the context you find that you're providing when you're talking to different stakeholder groups or just members of the community? So it's interesting. Um, this was actually one of my first meetings as a counselor. Uh, Uncle uh, was pertaining to this project specifically. So. Uh, Acknowledging to Austin all the, the the work that he's done, Randall Lewis, uh, with his work with Squamish Nation and getting a lot of this going with the the Watershed Society, uh, he brought me to my first meeting and it was at um, hosted by District of Squamish and um, so it was very interesting as it was brought up, uh, you know, all the different the different governments, the different stakeholders um, that were in the room and it was very interesting to to hear. Um, so that, yeah, it was, it was interesting that, uh, you know, kind of, kind of getting to this point as, as, you know, as I was a, just becoming a, a counselor, um, and, and learning about this and, and to where we are at today. But for the most part, our, our, the people I speak to, um, from my community that have approached me, are, you know, very understanding and excited and understand, um, you know, as was spoken historically, um, what is, has taken place in these lands without consultation with Squamish Nation and uh, with when I first started my um, environmental 
uh, work I did before council. Uh, one of my mentors actually, she was uh, commending me for a lot of the community work that I was doing um, just on my own time. And she spoke to me about her her grand uncle. Um, that was one of the our ancestors. That was one of the ones that really spoke up um, about you know the the injustice of not speaking to Squamish Nation or consulting or ha letting us have any say what what is taking place in our in our own territories. So she um, it was very interesting to hear. Um, so this was actually prior to my role on council. Um, and it was just telling me, you know, the work that I was doing is, you know, our ancestors have always been stewards of this land and have always wanted the best in, in protecting of our, you know, our respective territories. Um, so a lot of our people know this history. You know, a lot of our people understand. And as I mentioned, the space is very important to us, always has been and always will be um, for future generations. So it, it's exciting that we're going to get things that were taken away from us that provided for us that was very sacred to us, a big part of our history, that we're getting that back, you know, mm -hmm. we're getting that back, not just, you know, for today, but for our future generations, for my daughter, for her, for her children and for her grandchildren, my grandchildren, you know, we want to create a space um, that, as it once used to be, you know, restoring much like what was done in the wildlife management area, you know, having having it back to kind of the way it was for us. And uh, people are very understanding and they're excited to, to reclaim, you know, what was once once ours that was um, was taken away from us. So yeah, it's mostly been positive people um, that have been talking to me anyways. That's great. And and so one of, I think, the, the great pieces of work that has come out of this is that we know there's some highly impacted stakeholders. So, Patty, you mentioned, you know, recreational fishers and birders and photographers and, you know, people who just enjoy the estuary for what it is, in addition um, to, to folks that use it for wind sports. But, Chris, talk to us a bit about um, the vision committee. So this is... This is work that the district is is undertaking. And I think one of the things that we didn't talk about earlier, while we don't have a lot of jurisdiction, we do have a convening role. And we know we have some highly affected stakeholders um, in the community. So, so talk to us a bit about that role and who you're working with and, and what its job is. Sure. Yeah, it's um, it's been a really interesting uh, few months on that on that front um, as, as the... Um, CERT team really moved into a, an operational phase, let's say, back in the spring. Um, the work that they've been doing for years, bringing everybody together, uh, including those highly impacted stakeholders and government agencies and everything for these uh, periodic meetings, and uh, um, really, um, I, I think CERT became untenable to them as far as uh, just they had a lot of work to do on these permits, a lot of technical work. Um, and so, um, instead of having that one big larger group, uh, the, uh, the district and Squamish Nation um, volunteered to co-facilitate a, um, a highly impacted stakeholders group, um, which we called the Vision Committee or the Squamish Community Vision Committee. Um, and uh, the CERT team convened um, a technical committee 
um, which the district uh, attends but doesn't lead, um, to look at the uh, detailed modeling. That's where all the consulting engineers and everybody get together with the district, uh, or sorry, with the terminals, and looks at the, the detailed modeling of the impact of terminals. So we kind of split it into the two parts. Um, the vision committee, the highly impacted stakeholders uh, were um, terminals, the wind sports society, and tourism Spanish. Um, and we've had kind of two flavors of, of, of meetings. We've met half a dozen times over the last few months. And um, some of those meetings are really looking at long-term access to what will soon become an island. Uh, all the permits go through soon. Um, and uh, um, looking at what what that looks like and we've had the, the uh, various government agencies we've been talking about at, at that table as well as terminals and sports and, and looking at the different options from a long-term uh, aspect and then we've also had these really focused meetings um, where um, we have wind sports and uh, the SERP team and, and the SERP SERPs engineers and wind sports engineers all looking at okay what exactly is the end of the island north end of the island going to look like how are we going to get a boat in what what space is available where are we going to put a sea can for extra storage like really down to the details for for this coming uh for this coming work and, and for ensuring access for next summer's wind sports season that's you know one of the things and i'm a relative newcomer to town i mean i only moved here in 2012 but what i know is that our community has a history of figuring out some of these complex multi-stakeholder issues you know when we're trying to balance social environmental economic issues and the three of you have been involved with this project for so long what do you think is is really helping us move with i i don't know i i don't think there's a lot of antagonism i think there's a like angst because of a project like this but but what's helping to drive this collaborative nature of the project yeah i'm happy to tackle that one um and and this town has a history of fighting things out too <laughs> um, totally i i, I it's not so without i don't want to say that this has been peaceful <laughs> it's had its ups and downs but people are still at the table and yeah. a lot of different uh government bodies are at the table we yeah. continue to convene these conversations and and so what is that what is that connection why why are we still you know connected and working towards this yeah well, I think our history of having these more antagonistic and violent changes within our past, whether it was the chips thing or whether it was War in the Woods, or I think that evolution as a community and those kind of nasty moments um, in the past have kind of allowed us to mature as a community and, and be a little more um, holistic in how we approach things. I think our community is much more diverse now. So you can't, you don't, you don't have sort of two big blocks of entities that are, are competing for the future. You really have a very diverse community now. We have a very young community. And, and so you have to, necessity breeds invention. So if you have this, this diverse community, you have to start uh, taking a more sophisticated approach to how you problem solve and how you give and take and how, 
and how you, um, you know, make decisions that have the future and, and the greater good, you know, civil society as its core value. Um, and so I think as a community, we've evolved. And, and so that's, you know, and it's, it didn't happen overnight. It took, you know, a long, long time to get there and a lot of hiccups and a lot of, of nasty fights in the past. I mean, to be frank, um, it hasn't been roses the whole time, but I do think we, we, we are quite, uh, a thoughtful and considerate and diverse community now. And so that dialogue has spread into many, many different things. I think there's other things that separate us now. I think there's, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole social media side of things, but you know, we do have other sort of things that are, that are pushing us against each other. So we do have to make an extra effort to find the, the consensus, to find the collaboration and to understand that, you know, even though we idealize this, this sort of notion of win, 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 there are always going to be degrees of success for depending on your perspective. And you sort of have to understand that that's a reality and that's an inevitability within any con contextualized issue like this one. So I think you just have to keep that at the core and you have to be thoughtful and respectful and you have to just keep making sure that even if some, if a group or an individual it isn't feeling like they are getting the ultimate benefit out of something, that they at least are heard and some changes are made and there's some, you know, some concession and understanding and empathy when things are considered and moved forward. I think there's really a, a potentially positive outcome for wind sports here, and we're going to try to make sure that we facilitate that through this this summer. Um, they, there's a new wind park on the ocean front that's going to hopefully take up some of the need uh, for some of the people who are going out to the spit. We want to make sure that what we're leaving there is a really safe and good experience. And we're working with wind sports and, and Chris's, Chris and uh, Kathleen from the Squamish Nation have been really important. And I can't stress enough how, how valuable um, it, it has been that the district has has sort of stepped into this facilitating role and the leadership of the nation on all fronts of this project. Like they've just been so focused and so um, it can, just completely valuable within this process. It really is like, I always see, see the nation as they're the conductor. This is so much about what they want and the watershed society, we're the, we're the engine just, you know, the conductor's telling us where to go, uh, how to put the accelerator on. Um, and not to say that there isn't a whole bunch of inputs going into that decision making, but but ultimately it's the leadership of the nation that I think has been so valuable within the process and also valuable within the vision the vision committee as well, uh, because they they want win-win-wins. And I, I, I should let Joyce actually speak to what the, the nation's perspective is, but I just want to I lift my hands to them because I think they've been shown some real great leadership through this whole thing. So probably a good segue to you, Joyce. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, and my thoughts, um, Karen, just kind of as you asked, but also throughout the process, I think that the spirit of reconciliation has really kept everybody at the table and trying to work together in a good way. You know, that understanding of, um, you know, that history. Um, and I think even just the bigger picture, I think folks got an understanding of the bigger picture of what's where, what everybody is trying to make happen, which is the restoration um, and the rehabil rehabilitation of our, of our salmon. And um, I think 
that understanding and um, is keeping the team together, you know, to try and move forward, as I mentioned, in a good way. Um, having those two understandings together, um, you know, is super beneficial, I think. Um, and just want to acknowledge uh, our Squamish Nation staff from our rights and title and, and Kathleen for really stepping in as, you know, this is it's a uh, newly implemented department within our nation. Um, acknowledging, of course, again, the work of Randall Lewis um, and and now that our staff um, from our team, you know, really stepping up and, and trying to move things forward in a good way, I think. So it, it's both of those things, I think, that the reconciliation, um, the spirit of reconciliation, and also just, uh, as I mentioned, understanding the bigger picture of what is trying to take place. Um, so I think if we can continue to keep that understanding and, and have that respect for one another, you know one another and the understanding of that um i think it can continue to to move forward as it has and chris you must see that at the division committee that um that intention towards reconciliation and helping support your conversations there because it's not it's not easy for wind sports it's not easy for the terminals um you know, it, it's difficult to say win, 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 uh, because there's there's change happening, and and so how, you know, what is that spirit that you see at the the vision committee that's helping move the conversation forward? Yeah, I think it's been really amazingly collaborative, considering the the level of change and the and the impact of those stakeholders. Um, Right, right from the beginning, long before the vision committee, um, people were all coming to the table because they believed in the health of the estuary, and and uh, and and I think more recently in, in in the importance of the reconciliation portion of this. I think that wasn't highlighted so much right at the beginning of the project, and I think it's really come to the fore uh, more recently in the project, and it's, it's absolutely core to to uh, everybody who's at that vision table. And I, I think definitely there was a sort of a shocked moment, I think, uh, for wind sports, especially um, a couple of years ago when uh, it was uh, decided that um, it, it wasn't feasible to keep a, a realignment in in scope, which was sort of the, that original hope uh, in the very early days. Um, and I think it took them a little while to... Um, you kind of come to grips with that, understandably so. I, I think uh, for the last years, um, they have uh, been, you know, working towards what is that interim access, and and uh, and then looking for funding and and looking for, um, you know, advice and engineering and everything about okay, what what does a long term access look like, and is there an opportunity to come in and they've, they've been incredibly successful in, in looking for support for a potential future project and so that's part of that part of that exciting scope of the vision committee today there are always uh in projects such as these that are complex multi-stakeholders there's always some level of misinformation or myths that develop are there any that the three of you want to sort of bust in this podcast things that you've heard out there that you know aren't true that you'd just like to take a few seconds to say here's here's the real deal um 
Chris, I'll start with you. Just recently, we heard uh, through social media that with all the recent atmospheric river, that um, taking a portion of the spit out would create flood protection issues for downtown. So we've modeled that. So maybe you could bust that myth a little bit. Yeah, totally. That's a good one. Um, I w I'm always glad to see people who are interested and passionate about uh, flood hazard management in the district of Squamish. Obviously a huge deal. Squamish is uh, a leader in the province uh, on our, on our um, planning and management uh, of our, of our structures. And uh, we were, we were not going to, um, allow an increase in risk to, to flooding in downtown for this project. And, and the CERP team was very clear that that was not going to be an acceptable outcome of this. And so the modeling has been done. Um, actually, you know, that, that portion, the lower portion of the dike, everything south of where the culverts went in is, is not flood protection. Um, what we were worried about actually was, was large waves um, coming in and during during storms, you had big storm surge and big waves, uh, and there was uh, uh, a potential for overtopping into um, some of our stormwater management system and and reducing that capacity. So that's that's the part that was looked at in most detail and, and found that there was negligible impact. The, the infrastructure is far enough away that um, that we're good. So I'm glad people are passionate, but uh, we we got this one on this. On this yeah. Case. Thank you. Patty or Joyce, have you heard things out there that you're like, oh, I, I just I want to take an opportunity to correct this? Yeah, and and, and maybe if I can, uh, Joyce, um, just build on what Chris was saying, there's an ecological, uh, you know, an ecological services function of the estuary, just like there is of a flood, a flood dike, for example. Um, not apples to apples, because there's all sorts of value added stuff that a, that a natural asset might provide. And, um, and, you know, it depends on where you're your man-made stuff is built but you know that that's an important piece of piece of this as well one thing that we keep hearing out there is that there's some intention to take out the whole five kilometers of of training berm and certainly from the watershed society point of view we have no intention <laughs> you know 850 875 meters is what we're doing we have no intention of 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 doing it and certainly while there is any sort of flood uh, protection from any parts of that training berm, I suspect the district would oppose any removal of that piece of the training berm anyway, and for, for good reason, we wouldn't want to even go there. So there's no intention beyond south of the Yellow Gate to the roundabout of um, at some future date of, from, from the Watershed Society's point of view of, of, of going after anything like that. One more thing, actually. So there was something going around the summer, like, well, people are really mad that uh, that it's not water all the time between the island and the yellow gate um and i think part of it's really understanding the tidal interface of things there are times when it is mud flats and 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 grasses and all the sedges and sometimes where it's completely underwater and you don't see any of that and and fundamentally um this is about restoration of habitat and if if we didn't think and if the science didn't point towards removal of this lower berm as something that's fundamentally important for salmon and for the restoration of that habitat for a multitude of who in their right mind would ever want to <laughs> no offense but who in their right mind would ever want to pursue something like this unless you have a huge 
benefit at the end from a restoration and a reconciliation point of view. This is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. Yeah, I believe you. Joyce, are there any myths that you've heard that you want to take care of? No, actually, Karen, I, I haven't uh, heard much um, as uh, the colleagues here, but no. Good, good. Okay, so then let's let's focus on the future. Let's wrap this up by focusing on the future. And and when we think about that future state that you were you were hinting at, Patty, of of that restoration, the return of fish, the return, Joyce, of of the resources that were there for the people, um, pre pre colonizing times, um, you know, what is the opportunity? What's the optimism that you feel for what's possible from this project? And Joyce, maybe I'll start with you on that. Thank you. Yeah, so so much to look forward to, as I've kind of mentioned to uh, previously, but very excited to have, um, you know, the return of um, the Chinook, but also what it also brings with it, right? You know, how um, it'll bring um, so much for our, for our people and for the community. Uh, one of our one of our teachings and one of our, our past practices is having um, a welcoming back, uh, this welcoming back the salmon ceremony. So yeah, it's, it's a big part of our history. Um, and as I mentioned, our storytelling uh, with the return of the salmon people, uh, one of the things that our our people have been doing is, is hosting those ceremonies again. And I know our, having our children involved um, in our community and the community at wide to witness some of uh, the, our history of the, the practices and the teachings the ceremony that we used to do. Uh, and it would be amazing to kind of celebrate it in that way. Um, but yeah, so much to look forward to and, and just continue um, continuing these practices and, continuing to, to teach our children to have, um, you know, the Chinook, but what also it brings um, brings with it. So it's going to be very exciting for our people to, to see what's to come. Mm, absolutely. That that sense of excitement is, I, I already feel it. I know when I talk to my children about, you know, what it means to see these this area restored and you know, it's, there's so much that they experience that is not quite going right in the world. And when we look at this project, we can point to human beings doing something good for the world. So it inspires a lot of hope. Um, Patty, what do you see in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about how, how excited people get about this project, because it, it's significant. This is this is not a small restoration project. This is a federally significant project, provincially significant project. And um, we've got some of the best marine um, and, and engineers on this project. And, they're, and even Transport Canada, everyone's kind of excited to be working on a big file like this that is actually about rehabilitation and reconciliation and not about negatively impacting and trying to minimize the the negative environmental impacts of a development or something, but to actually be involved in something that's adding a massive benefit to the environment. These are unique. This is not a, this is not a usual thing that happens to this degree. This is a huge project. So when I think about, and I really, I really want the community to feel proud about this project. Yes, there's 
there's there's there's some challenges and yes things are going to change for some entities when the berm is modified but it really is about being proud of this that a community like ours can have a really good discourse and come away with what is fundamentally an important valuable project and thinking about how you've got about 144 hectares that's been cut off from its its natural sort of nutritional source that is now going to be reconnected with the the river and uh, the estuary in so many different ways and because you have that you know and it, it, we always use this sort of analogy 144 acres is like over 200 soccer fields it's a big big area um, of renaturalizing that type of environment um, with fish, with birds, with invertebrates, with all the little things that all the fish eat, um, the resident uh, orcas, the killer whales coming back up and following Chinook runs up the river that they used to do all the time and they don't do any, any now. And we just hope the, the, the killer whales are around enough in the future that we they last long enough to have these Chinook stocks get back to the normal state of things. So I really think... Um, I hope that people in this community are really proud of this accomplishment. I hope um, even people who may um, see their emotional connection uh, to that area and their, their, um, you know, their sport or whatever, whatever it is they connect with down there. I hope they find new connections and understand the benefit of, of, of this. We're, you know, we're going to monitor, um, you know, once this comes out, we are monitoring, we've been monitoring, fish returns and, and, and salmonid returns for several years now, that monitoring will continue. And, you know, we really hope to see a real revitalized estuary that can be actually an example to the world that this is a thing you can actually do. Um, because this is unique. This is not a normal, easy project. This is unique um, in terms of its magnitude, in terms of its complexity. And, and I think they'll be doing studies of this thing. <laughs> in various parts of the world because it's it's going to be quite an accomplishment um and then if, if down the road if Windsports finds a great solution long-term solution um that's just one more thing we can be proud of you know uh, <clears throat> we just had our designation of a custom house sound as a un biosphere region and i see Skoelum, uh the estuary as like just a jewel in that designation that that's the optimism I feel. Um, you know, the biosphere regions are all about people working together to find a more sustainable way forward. And I think, as you said, Patty, this will be a global example of balancing um, many different interests, uh, but in the spirit of reconciliation and restoration and fish. Um, so I'm excited by that. And Chris, what do you think the future holds from your perspective? I have a really different perspective because I'm a, uh, I'm a staff member. And so my job is to convene and, and to facilitate. Um, I, um, I have really enjoyed the opportunity to work with a lot of really great people on this project and to really get to know uh, my staff peers at many different levels of government and government offices and, and also a lot of really passionate people in the community. Um, so um, I don't know what the future holds for this particular project. Um, 
and uh, I, I will, uh, um, I'll, wait, I'll wait to find out like the rest of us, I guess. Um, but what I really have hope for in the future is just the, this spirit of collaboration and the relationships that, um, that have been forged over the last few years in this, in this um, can really move forward uh, to a, a wider um, marine and estuary strategy and, and uh, in governance and uh, governance model. So I, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to, there's been so much effort um, put into this very, very important project because it is so critical to the, to the whole area. Um, and I'm looking forward to taking some of that, uh, some of that momentum and, and spreading it out over the larger marine area throughout Squamish. So Chris, we know you're working hard at the Vision Committee. What what is your immediate work uh, ahead? What's your role? What do you see in the in the next two to four weeks? Yeah, um, still lots of work on the on the technical committee as well. Um, but the Vision Committee, we have uh, um, talked a lot about what the island will look like in, in the short term. We've got another meeting due uh, in the next two to four weeks um, that we need to convene to talk about uh, access, detailed access uh, from, from the spit. So we're really looking at really tactical, um, what's it going to look like in the, in the near term right now? That's our focus on the vision committee. Yeah, and obviously that needs to be known before shovels go in the ground. So if any modifications need to be made, the CERT team knows what's what. So, um, and I know you're sitting at the technical committee still. Uh, and so Patty and Joyce, what do you see as the work ahead in the next sort of, I guess, to the end of the year? What, what, what the community might see in here? Probably best to you, Patty. I guess it's, it's Kathleen's doing uh, the bulk, of, has been doing the bulk of the work for us. Yes. So um, there's a couple approval processes that we're still working through. Uh, the two biggest ones are the Water Sustainability Act, Section 11. Um, that's a, a, you know, a, a process the provincial government puts any entity going, uh, working in, the right, in any sort of watershed or riparian area. It's a process that everyone has to go through. The other sort of major one is a transport, uh, Transportation Canada application. So anytime there's some sort of effect or, or something that might change how a port um, or marine port environment gets affected, you have to go through a process. So that, that's been a, a new one for the Watershed Society. And, and, and um, so one of the, you know, it was very comprehensive. We did pilot simulations. We've done sediment transport studies. We've done woody debris analysis, you know, and, and multiple... Uh, aspects of those things, and and we're currently still discussing um, those potential results with the terminals, with the technical committee. So we're still working through that stuff. So I'd, you know, we don't want to get ahead of of that because that's really important work that's still ongoing. Thank you. I I've really appreciated this conversation today. I think we've explored a lot of history, a lot of current happenings, and we looked ahead to the future and. I just want to say thank you to the community that has been engaged in this process, whether it's through um, the open house or sending emails um, or just being at the tables uh, um, to help guide this, this project. It's so important that um, 
we keep going in that spirit of collaboration and reconciliation. And, and I think we can achieve a great outcome. And I appreciate uh, all of your efforts in that regard. Thank you so much.